0: Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 68. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. On today's episode, we're discussing Asian North American preaching with Dr. Matthew Kim and Dr. Daniel Wong, the authors of Finding Our Voice, A Vision for Asian North American Preaching, published by Lexham Press. Dr. Matthew Kim is the George F. Bennett Chair of Preaching and Practical Theology at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, and Dr. Daniel Wong is formerly Associate Professor of Christian Ministries at Tyndale University in Canada, having recently retired from that position team members on the episode from the two cities include Grace Sengalang Ng and myself, Dr. John Anthony Dunn. So in this episode, we're kicking off our series on cultural identity. And the goal of the series is really to highlight how our cultural perspectives contribute to how we think about theology and that we shouldn't imagine that we can set aside our cultural influence before we look at the Bible, and that shouldn't be the goal either. We all read the text from a particular standpoint, and those of us who preach all preach from that standpoint and into a particular context. So this episode is a really great place for us to start this series because it helpfully illustrates this from a particular Asian North American perspective and also deals with these foundational issues of hermeneutics and and homiletics. What would you think of this conversation, Grace?
1: So I really enjoyed this conversation, um, especially thinking about how it's currently May and it's the Asian American uh, Pacific Islander Heritage Month in celebrating Asian American um, heritage. I think this episode fits um, really nicely in um, empowering Asian North Americans to embrace their bicultural identity. Um, So for me as an Asian American woman, I really enjoyed um, talking with them and hearing their perspectives, being able to bridge that, those two identities together and seeing the value of them, especially like, you know, after Atlanta and the rise of anti Asian discrimination, I think just being able to empower Asian North Americans, Asian Americans, and Asian Canadians during this time and seeing how their perspective um, is valuable and can help them, um, you know, read scripture in a unique way that contributes to the global community, I think is really, really helpful. Another thing I really appreciated from their conversation is just how honest they were in sharing their own personal stories. And yeah, I think just that transparency uh, is really valuable Um, as they're the ones training other preachers um, to be honest with their stories and showing how uh, they are fully loved by God in their bicultural identity.
0: And here's our conversation with Dr. Kim and Dr. Wong. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Kim and Dr. Wong.
2: Thanks, John and Grace. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation.
0: So, how about we begin by asking the two of you about what inspired you guys to write a book on Asian North American homiletics and hermeneutics?
3: It was probably, I'd say, 17 years ago uh, where I thought of the idea of uh, writing a book on English speaking second, third, fourth generation Asian Americans. And so, I had this idea to, to work on this project as a doctoral thesis. And my supervisor um, in Scotland basically said, that's too broad, you can't do that. You gotta narrow it down. So for my doctoral studies, I, I focused on second generation Korean Americans, but I thought one day I wanna write a book on Asian North Americans, and especially second and third multi-generational uh, Asian Americans. And I thought, I, I don't really wanna do this by myself, who could I partner with uh, on his journey? And I didn't even know Daniel Wong at the time, but, but a few years ago uh, I, I had learned of D- uh, Dr. Wong. And I thought he's someone that I think with pastoral experience and, and, and insight into homiletics, I think he'd write that book with me. So a few years ago I, I approached Daniel and we had never met before.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: I asked Daniel if he would partner with me on this book. And he said, sure. So that, that's where it started.
2: Great. I was very glad to receive that invitation. I'd already done some study and some uh, seminars in this area. And uh, I've already also read some of uh, Dr. Kim's material. So, very glad that he reached out and uh, invited me.
1: Yeah. So, thanks so much for joining us, uh, Dr. Kim and Dr. Wong. Uh, we're really happy um, to have you. And so, how would you describe an Asian North American hermeneutic? Or can you even explain what Asian North American means? Because I don't know if everyone is familiar with those terms.
2: Uh, in terms of the, the terminology, uh, a lot, especially I'm I'm originally from the States as, as well. And so we usually talk about Asian American, but uh, often that excludes uh, Canada. And so for more than half my life, I've been uh, serving in Canada. And so some of the nomenclature that's been used is Asian North American basically to include uh, US and Canada. I know that some have critiqued that and said, well, does not include Mexico or other places? But predominantly um, the US and Canada is when we think about and most of the uh, research on Asian North Americans.
3: As I was going through seminary, I was uh, trained like like most people uh, by uh, Western white uh, hermeneutics professors. And during seminary, I was thinking about what does it look like for someone who looks like me, who's bicultural, to go through this process of biblical exegesis. And not that I've come to disagree with what my white professors were teaching me, but I I really was thinking through how do I include both the Asian side of who I am and also the American side of who I am into this process of hermeneutics. So uh, I went through this uh, mental journey, the spiritual journey of how do I think about this more intentionally? And that led me to think about a bicultural hermeneutic, meaning I, I need to know what the original author said to that time and place, but then taking that additional step of thinking through, how do I as an Asian American read this text perhaps differently from someone who's white or of a different race or ethnicity? And that's what led to a, a, what we want to call a bicultural hermeneutic, thinking through the, the American side of who we are or Canadian side of who we are, but then also thinking about our Asian or Chinese or Korean or Filipino or whatever uh, uh, ethnicity we are, thinking through that side of who we are and, and combining it. So taking that extra step of thinking through, uh, how do I read this as an Asian person, but how do I also read this as an American or Canadian?
0: Can you give us some examples of where that bicultural situatedness uh, lends itself to the task of interpretation in, in and part, a particular uh, place in scripture?
3: Sure. The example we use uh, that I use in the chapter is uh, Luke chapter 14, 25 to 27, where Jesus is telling the disciples that in order to follow him, they have to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him, and also to deny, you know, their uh, family to be able to follow him. And what does that look like for an American person or a Canadian person who's grown up in a Western white culture versus someone who's Asian or in my case, Korean. And I think there are some additional questions we need to think about uh, regarding this process. And and that really involves uh, thinking through, how did Jesus mean the word hate? How do I hate my family and renounce them uh, in in following Christ? And what he's really getting at is uh, an Eastern perspective, that, that Jesus wants us to not literally hate them, but to hate them in comparison to how much he lo- we are to love Christ. And, and that is more pronounced, I believe, in, in many Eastern cultures, like Koreans, uh, Filipinos, or, or Chinese, and, and other ethnic groups uh, from an Eastern perspective. And so taking that additional step of questioning, how do my family members uh, relate to this question that Jesus is asking? And, and how do I, as an Asian person, also think through these additional qualifiers of, what does that mean? For me, do I really hate them? Do I? How do I abandon my family when family is such an integral part of of Asian uh, community life? So, just some additional questions that we would think about.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, Dr. Kim. I really appreciate that example from Luke 14 and what what Jesus says there, and thinking about that from a bicultural standpoint. You know, when I lecture on the genealogy of Matthew, uh, which is, is quite uh, scandalous in, in some ways. Uh, we did have a, a recent episode with Janine Brown where we kind of talked about the uh, the scandal on this this podcast a little bit. But one of the things that I, I like to do with students, i like to show them this quote by Justo Gonzalez who uh, talks about uh, the genealogy from his perspective, what he regards as a unique advantage uh, as, as a Hispanic person reading the text. And what he points out is that You know, when you read this scandal, we might be sort of shocked, perhaps, to think, like, how could the Bible contain this sort of information? But what he says, again, from his distinct advantage that he has as a Hispanic reader, he says, you know, our own cultural history points to all kinds of problematic aspects, as as he says, our Spanish forefathers raped our Indian foremothers, and he points out how when 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 Hispanics read these portions of scripture that that can so scandalize us, it's just sort of par for the course. This is this is uh, what, what we would expect, both of our own history and from biblical history, and I think it's uh, kind of important to juxtapose that with a lot of what's going on in uh, kind of broader American culture, where there's this idea that you can't really say anything negative about American history. You kind of have to either say that it's the greatest country in the world and, you know, it has this wonderful history and it's, you know, God's gift to the rest of the world and all this stuff. And if you say anything less than that, then you hate the country. Right. And what I love about the genealogy of Matthew, what I love about Eustod Gonzalez's quote is he really is saying, you know, it can be both. We can acknowledge these things. And when I think about that unique vantage point that he mentions, I'm curious to know what sort of unique advantage would you say that Asian North Americans have when they come to scripture?
2: I think definitely the the idea of um, the meaning of uh, like honoring parents and how does that play out in the Asian North American uh, context? I wrote my uh, master's thesis on honoring parents, and so I got a great chance to go through an understanding. Its use in the Old Testament and uh, also as it moved into the, the New Testament and all the implications of that. So, I, I think that's one of, the, one of the key things that we can think about, particularly from the, the Asian North American perspective.
3: I think there's a, a real opportunity for us as Asian Americans to, to be able to see scripture through this dual lens. And, and what I mean by that is. There are moments where I read scripture, where I'm tempted to hate myself. Uh, I'm tempted to hate being uh, an embodied, visible minority in America, especially in light of all that's been said politically about the China virus. Uh, and as an Asian American struggling, even in my own town, uh, in this predominantly white town sub- suburb of, uh, of Boston, uh, it's been hard. It's been really hard to, to not question God and not question, why did you make me Asian versus just completely white American? And, and there's an advantage, I think, here for us to be able to see that Jesus, when, when you think about the life of Christ, he was uh, ostracized, he was hated, he was questioned. There, there are so many uh, areas where we can find resonance with Jesus's life. He was minimized even in his own town of Nazareth. He was looked down upon, uh, and yet he kept going with the mission, with the father's mission. Uh, there was nothing that was going to stop him from fulfilling the will of God in his life. And I want to uh, embolden—I want to embolden Asian Americans in this season, where we can have uniquely the the best of what America has to offer or Canada has to offer, and yet we also have this embodied state where currently in our political and Cultural climate. We're going through various hardships, but don't let that stop you. You you can use that to your benefit uh, to be able to basically take your experiences and and see how you've been marginalized, and then take that to those who are also marginalized in other racial ethnic communities. We can identify with other minorities better than some other people can, and so don't let uh, the hardships of our current struggle stop you from embracing who you are fully uh, as bicultural people. And so I, I see that as a huge advantage. Uh, I can fully identify with having American pride, but then yet, yet I can also identify with uh, an immigrant or a refugee, someone who doesn't look like they're from here. I can identify with that. And that gives us, a, gives us an additional lens through which we can understand theology, who God is, who God has created us to be, uh, in, made in the image of God. And I can uh, take my uh, difficult experiences and empathize and console and comfort those who are going through hard times uh, for people who are also marginalized. And so that's one of the advantages, uh, I think, of being a bicultural person is that we can have uh, the best of both worlds. We can also identify with the least of these and and to make something positive uh, out of what God is calling us to be and to do.
1: I think a lot of Asian North Americans, um, we do wrestle with our identity and just understanding kind of where we fit in the world because we take up this kind of in-between, like liminal space um, between cultures. So how does a theology of incarnational duality help Asian North Americans understand their own bicultural or multicultural identity? Or can you explain what incarnational duality means? I know you had mentioned that in your book. So if you could expand on that, that would be great.
3: Sure. This is a concept that I, I was thinking through with uh, a, theo- a theologian colleague of mine. And the, the concept of Jesus being fully God and fully human uh, is, is a relevant one, I think, in terms of being a person who is embodied uh, with both an American or Canadian side, and also uh, some type of ethnic uh, Asian identity. But the, I, I know that it's not a perfect analogy. <laughs> I, I would never want to try to make uh, Jesus's incarnation relevant <laughs> completely relevant to, to our own humanness. But uh, thinking through what it means for what it meant for Jesus to be fully God and fully human, uh, just, just ponder that for a moment. What would, have, what would it have been like for him? <laughs> uh, to, to see the world through a human's eyes and yet be fully God it's not like i don't think I don't think Jesus was thinking through sometimes yeah sometimes I 'm God, sometimes I'm human, no I, he was fully both, and taking that same kind of mindset as Asian Americans, we can look through the through, through the world sometimes I, I see the world through it, through the eyes of an Amer- of an American, sometimes I, th- I see it through the eyes of a Korean uh, ethnic person and yet I'm never one or the other, I'm always both. And when we lose sight of that, there's gonna be probably one identity that dominates our mind. And as we read scripture, my hope is that we don't only read through one lens, that we see the fuller picture, the, the both, both sides of who we are. Uh, this is also uh, an added complexity if a person is biracial uh, or multiracial. I don't think that person segregates in his or her mind. Uh, I'm American now. I'm uh, Brazilian one one moment, and I'm Chinese another moment. Uh, that person is fully embodied in all uh, ethnic identities, cultural identities uh, at the same time. And what that means for the preacher teacher is that person will take the extra step to to think through who am I fully? I'm a Christian foremost but that I'm also an American, I'm, a, I'm Korean in my case. And in that environment of studying the scripture, I'm going to be able to ask those additional questions that I might not ask if I were only thinking through an American lens. Uh, and so that's, that's what we're trying to uh, encourage preachers to do is to think through how do I, who am I fully in my embodiment, but also how do I take that next step uh, to consider both sides if, or, uh, or in some cases, a multi-dimensional side of who I am, so that's where incarnational duality. I think the concept of it helps uh, people who are bicultural or multicultural.
2: I think one of those uh, perspectives or that that we bring to this is that because we're visible minorities, we are always very conscious of our otherness or Asianness. And entering into a room, we kind of think, "Who's like me? Who's unlike me?" And as you were talking about those that are. You know multiracial. It's not only who you think you are, but who do others think I am? And of course, those dynamics are are very multi-fold, and uh, they shape uh, they shape us. And again, you know who we are in Christ is is so important. But we are as Christ incarnated, you know, as a Jewish person in a certain time in a certain place we ourselves are, with our experiences, uh, have come to uh, be God's person in this time and this place.
1: Yeah, thanks for that. And then also just looking at the importance of this book um, in a broader sense, how does understanding Asian North American hermeneutics and theologies help the broader church in their understanding of scripture?
2: Well, I think we are we are bringing like another perspective or another lens that we can see scripture. And I, I think um, that just helps us to be sensitive to the way that other people view scripture. And uh, of course, with the Black Lives Matter, currently there's a lot of rethinking, you know, how we can examine scripture, how we can rethink. And I, I think it's just help, so helpful to have Other perspectives uh, to see scripture. And I think that what they say is this helps us with those blind spots that we have or presuppositions that we have as we think through in terms of interpretation and also the theologies that we may have.
0: How do we become more aware of how our own cultural lenses and experiences shape the way we view and teach scripture? How do we get rid of those blind spots that maybe we don't realize or? you know, part of, uh, how we, how we are engaging scripture and think about other perspectives that people might have.
3: Mm-hmm. I have a pastor friend of mine who does a weekly feed forward session. And so he actually invites various people from his church to, um, the church on, on Tuesday nights. And he spends hours with them going through the sermon passage for the upcoming sermon. Mm-hmm. And uh, this process, I think has really helped him see and hear all the different voices and how one would uh, not just interpret the text, but also apply it. And I think that the more voices we can include in this process, it's just going to make for a fuller understanding of the passage. Mm-hmm. And So that's one thing I think we can try as preachers and pastors. Of course, we want to be careful not to, to be prone to read a response. The text can't mean whatever we want it to mean. That, that's not what we're arguing for. But we can take that additional stuff as preachers and pastors to hear What are the voices saying in my church how do i read the perspective from my own limited perspective Mm. and how do my church members inform and give us a broader perspective as daniel was saying in this process of cultural
2: understanding i would say often our experience and perspective is is quite narrow honestly i have not worked any other full-time job outside of ministry and so if I did a visitation when I was a pastor, I would try to bring along somebody who might have somewhat similar background to the person I'm visiting. So it helps to, again, to connect, to converse, to make it more communal as as Matt has shared uh, with regard to that example. And, and sometime I will put out there if I'm preaching on a particular text, you know, talk to a few people, try to get uh, additional perspective. I, I remember very vividly when I was talking about running the race in in Hebrews twelve, and I intentionally asked a person who's in a wheelchair. I said, "What does it mean to run the race for you?" And he said, "Let me think about it." When he got back to me, he said, uh, "My friend was in a wheelchair race. He had a flat tire, but he kept on going." And you know that opened a whole new realm of thinking about running the race, and I used that in the sermon. I didn't make a big thing of it, but I think it also helped other people to understand that there's more than one way to run a race and there are challenges that different people face. So that's just one example of continuing to broaden our understanding and perspective of ourselves and and the others.
1: Yeah, that's so helpful to see um, those different perspectives. Like I would have never thought about running a race through the lens of someone in a wheelchair. So I think that's really um, cool to hear about. And so how do we also help people see the need for the diversity of perspectives in theology instead of accepting the Western white view of theology as the normative standard? I know, um, Dr. Kim, you had mentioned that most of your training was in this Western white hermeneutics. And so I was just wondering, how would we help people see the need to look beyond that?
3: Yeah, it's, it's really a tricky question because I'm not, and Daniel's not, we're not arguing that white people are wrong. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to give that impression. And I don't want people to think that we're being uh, overly um, hyper Asian in, in our perspective. What we want to do is just provide uh, another perspective. Uh, and and again is similar to we, uh, what we're talking about. What we were talking about with hermeneutics, we want to be able to help our uh, pastors and, and theologians and biblical scholars to see. And I think we naturally do this for for some of us is to to try to get out of our own uh, perspective only. And so I want to be able to see uh, and consider how would a female uh, read this text differently from a male. Uh, I would do the same process when thinking through people in my church. If I have African-Americans in my church, why wouldn't I take that extra step to think about what are some of the challenges theologically with this passage? And and how how might a a black person or African-American person in my church read this uh, passage differently from myself? And so if we are uh, constantly just looking through our own lens and not considering anybody else, we're going to miss out on all of our church members who are different from us. And we're going to forget about those who are on the margins and those who are different from us. And so that's why I think it's really critical that we, uh, as, as biblical theologians and, and scholars and pastors, think about the wider church, the global church, and as well as people in our context who may not naturally come to mind. And so uh, I was trained under Haddon Robinson, who said that we want to be able to think about uh, the church as a grid. There are all kinds of people on this grid. And, and you might be able to think of him as people who are sitting around your table as you're preparing a sermon. And I'm going to think about that uh, single, uh, the, the father who has lost a, a wife and he's raising the family on his own. Uh, I'm going to think about uh, that um, Puerto Rican-American family uh, who's different from, from me. And, and going around that table, uh, the preacher is going to be able to see that there are other people who uh, understand God differently, who've had different experiences. And that is uh, not wrong, but provides a, a broader picture of the church. And, and that's what we're, tra- we're hoping to accomplish through this study.
2: Yeah, I think that uh, oftentimes we, uh, we tend to reach for those same commentaries that are our favorites or we're most comfortable with. And I think this is uh, the new day that we can start looking at potentially resources that are coming from, uh, like, from a women's perspective, or from different parts of the world, or different other uh, perspectives, and again, there's a there's a dearth of material that's that's available. But I think that there is more that is coming. Um, I remember one person, um, Daniel Ing, who wrote a paraphrase of uh, honor shame paraphrase of James. It's a little booklet that he put out, and I I thought that was very uh, interesting to take a look. At, at least from his perspective, because I'm I'm not always so familiar with that as well. But at least there's another way of, of uh, in that case, a paraphrase for uh in in this way, was an honor shame paraphrase.
0: Yeah, Daniel is someone who went to Talbot with Grace and I. And uh, speaking of, yeah. of honor, shame, um, I wonder if if you, you could say a bit about how the topics of guilt and shame uh, affect how a sermon is preached to Asian North Americans.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think the first place to start is um, a, a little bit. I know uh, Matt does that in his cultural intelligence book of doing a bit of introspection, even to think through our journey, because Oftentimes, when we speak, we speak out of our own experience. So, if we are in a place of of uh, shame, uh, in a sense, which it's it's not a true biblical uh, guilt, but it is a place of just feeling bad about yourself because you didn't achieve like what your parents expected you, then that type of place is is a it's a hard and a difficult starting place. So, understanding ourselves, seeing who we are in Christ, and then, again, understanding the Scripture and presenting it in a way that is affirming. Again, understanding all the cultural baggage we have, but moving us to a place where we can see more of our identity in Christ. That is uh, most helpful.
3: I've I've heard that guilt is saying. I've done something wrong, and shame is I am something wrong. Hmm. I am the problem. And I think that as we read Scripture through those two different lenses, I think we should do that regularly. What is the sin that's committed, but then what's, how do I feel about myself as a person and as a sinner? I think those are two different things, what my actions pronounce about me and who I think I, uh, of my, who I, think I am in terms of my identity. Uh, And for Asian North Americans, I think that we can posture ourselves as preachers to do both. I think about uh, what is the sin and what is the guilt uh, that the Holy Spirit places on me for the fact that I have sinned and grieved the Spirit, but then also thinking through now that I have uh, identified myself as a sinner, how does that make me feel? How does that put me in terms of my relationship with God? And for a lot of Asian North Americans, I think uh, shame is in an added layer of complexity in the hermeneutical and homiletical task uh, to think through how do I help my listeners uh, identify with their sin and lament and confess it and repent for it, but then take that next step of saying, uh, Christ has overcome and and he's placed a new identity on me. Uh, And and that can be a a tricky task for the preacher.
1: Okay, so you had mentioned about how like Asian North Americans need to understand kind of their own experiences and because they preach out of their own experience. I think in thinking about guilt and shame, because these are hard emotions to process, uh, how would you uh, help ministers or future ministers to process their own experiences of guilt and shame?
2: Well, I have a a spiritual director who is uh... A Canadian-born Chinese, and uh, because he shared some of his experiences, I think that that's been very helpful for me to process some of my own. So, having a spiritual director or mentor or somebody who helps to see from the outside and point you to God, I think that could be helpful for many of our students that are ministry students that often are just caught up with their studies, coming out of a certain background, but need to see things in a, in a broader perspective, maybe a, an, another way of looking at things.
3: I've taken students through a timeline journey where they map out their lives and, and above uh, the number of the year that it happened, the event happened, I have them write the positive things that have happened in their lives. And then below the surface, write the negative things that have happened in their lives in terms of uh, just their whole life experience. Uh, we all have positive moments and, and you know, tragic moments in our lives. So as the students walk through that journey, they get to see, yeah, that was a moment of pride for me. And that was a moment of shame. Uh, That was a moment of heartache. And then taking them through the next level of uh, walking through a journey uh, of journaling. And I don't know, most people I I ask, they don't like journaling, but (laughs) if you can have the discipline of doing it, what you're going to do is you're going to find that God is going to open up areas and pockets of our lives where we never really thought about that. And it was maybe a repressed moment of shame or hardship. And I asked the students to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me to remember those moments. And and as we do so, uh, I ask them to pray about how does this inform your preaching? How does this inform your pastoring? Uh, I use the example of one of the things that I've struggled with in my life is that I don't know why people said this about me, but I think because I was introverted and slow in speaking, people thought I was stupid. And, and they actually said that to me growing up, You know, people in my youth, in my, I still remember moments where I felt like they were just saying, you're just a stupid person, you, you don't understand, you don't get this, because you're stupid. And so I had this uh, repressed memory of, of several times of, the, of this happening in my life where people said I was stupid. and. That came out w- without even my recognition in my pastoring and in my preaching. Where whenever I felt like my intellect was threatened, I would get defensive and angry. And I didn't even realize, why, w- why is this happening? Why do I get so angry when people uh, seem to be saying that I- I'm not competent? And it-, it went back to those moments of, uh, of shame uh, and-, and feeling like I was a failure because in people's eyes I was stupid. And so those are some key moments in in your life where you don't realize that these are really damaging and destructive and you hold on to them and they come out in the worst moments. They're like a a dormant volcano and they erupt when you least expect it uh, in your ministry. And so taking the time uh, to pray and process through some of the the good things that have happened in our lives and some of the challenges, I I think they will open up our, our vision to see that all of our life experience comes into play when we're pastoring and preaching. And so that's something that could,
2: they could try. I've also encouraged our, my students and, and myself, I've uh, taken these day with God or extended uh, personal retreats. And what I found in those, especially as ministry students, you really need to quiet down to listen. And what I found is that God really affirms love to me. Going back to that shame base, I'm always saying, oh, I, I'm supposed to be doing more. Uh, isn't this enough? But uh, usually God will stop me in those quiet moments and really affirm his love to me during those times, especially when I can quiet down and God can get through to to speak to me.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Wong and Dr. Kim, for sharing your own experiences um, of feeling shame at times, but also feeling um, God's profound love. I think that's just really encouraging for me to hear and for others to hear. Um, you know, that seasoned veterans like you struggle with these things um, and how, yeah, these times can be very spiritually formative. So thank you so much. And then also like understanding all of the like social implications of the honor shame culture. I also wonder how that is in play as well into um, those who are listening to the sermon. Just looking at all the different layers of honor and shame. I mean, I think this is just a question that's near to my heart since I'm doing my dissertation on yeah. <laughs> shame and how it affects Asian Americans. i yeah. especially seminary students who are, you know, being trained to become preachers um, and teachers of the word. So, yeah, I really appreciate your input on that. Um, and so what are some practical suggestions you have for Asian North Americans to help find their voice in their preaching?
2: Again, I, I think we need to continue to think of like who we are and who God made us. I've, I've been thinking a little bit more about um, personality in preaching and uh, going to explore a bit of the, the introverted preacher and the extroverted preacher. There's a lot of different ways we can look at it, but in terms of our own history, personality, our, our opportunity, uh, I've often said since I've worked mostly in the immigrant church that we often come like missionaries because uh like I'm not so conversant in that you know first language uh, of the uh, often of the church and so just a lot of understanding um a lot of and I think we do need a lot more um potentially and on Matt's heart to see more uh you know visible minorities in in the seminary teaching areas uh people having uh, coaches uh, that have gone ahead that would be helpful to learn from and to process a bit of their experience because uh, again there's (laughs) different layers of uh, what you approach in any church and particularly if it's like a immigrant church or a Asian North American Asian type of church there's a lot of different as we mentioned a lot of dynamics going on. I remember when I was pastoring in Denver Colorado
3: uh, some of my church members would come up to me and say, why do you have two personalities?
0: Mm.
3: <laughs> I, I was saying, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? And they would say, because I was an introverted person, they would say, when when we're one-on-one or one-on-two, you come off as just bland and you don't have much personality. You don't know how to ask questions. You're socially awkward. But when you come to the pulpit, you seem like a completely different person. You're You're alive. You have you, you tell jokes, you're, you're actually a little bit humorous and you, you engage with people. Well, uh, why is, why, why the split personality in some ways? And for me, as I was preaching, I tend to come alive and when I'm introverted and just in my own little world, and I'm not uh, the best in terms of speaking to people one-on-one, uh, that, that was a true statement. Their perception was right. Uh, I am socially awkward, but, uh, that doesn't mean that we, we as introverts can not preach. Uh, and so, uh, what I want to tell students is to be patient and it takes time to find your voice.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, some people prescribe the magic number, right? They'll, they'll say you have to preach 500 sermons to find mm-hmm. your voice, uh, mm-hmm. but there is no magic number. Uh, you could happen. It could happen in the first year. It could take 10 years. We don't know, but to be patient and to love yourself, embrace yourself, and the question I often ask my students is, who are you in your best moments? When do you come alive? That's the person you want to bring to the pulpit every single week as best as possible through the reliance of the Holy Spirit. So uh, it takes time to find your voice. But what we're arguing for is don't neglect your Asian side. Don't, don't forget that you are a, most likely a bicultural person. Uh, don't just think about how you were trained in your Western seminaries and your American side. Uh, when you do that, you're losing sight of that key component uh, of being a bicultural person. And so that, that's the hope.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kim and Dr. Wong, for for joining us. Really appreciate hearing about your work and, and about the book, and and how the two of you are emboldening uh, Asian North Americans to to preach, to find their voice. It makes me especially think about how there really is no such thing as unhyphenated theology, unhyphenated preaching, unhyphenated anything. Really, that we all have our own cultural standpoints, and I, I just appreciate drawing attention to that and having us to uh, causing us to reflect on that. a a bit more, whatever our cultural backgrounds may be. So just thank you so much for, for joining us and being part of this podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Kim and Dr. Wong for joining us. We really appreciate having you on. Thank
0: you for the
2: invitation. Thanks for having us.